Manny, do you like to go by Manuel or Manny? Manny. Manny. And how do you pronounce your last name? Lajos. L-A-H-O-Z. It's a Spanish uh, word that means the sickle. Really? The sickle? <laughs> the rice. It's your destiny, Manny. That's what my what tells me. It's beautiful. You were born to be a farmer. Hello and welcome to Farm On, the podcast where we speak with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement. I'm your host, Joe Phillips. You can find Farm On on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Contact us on Twitter at FarmonDharma, which is Farmon, D-H-A-R-M-A, or drop an email to dharmaonthefarm at gmail.com. Today, I am very, very excited to be presenting this conversation I had with uh, Manuel Lahose, also known as Manny Lahose. Manny is from the Philippines. He is uh, just now getting into farming uh, quite late in life, usually about the time that most people would retire. He decided to become a rice farmer. And uh, this is after he led a very, very colorful and very, very interesting, exciting life starting with working in the church, to organizing farmers, to create one of the first farming unions in uh, the Philippines, to uh, helping indigenous people to fight back when their land was being threatened by uh, brutal dictatorships in the Philippines. Um, He talks about immigrating to America, where he started a new life as a pizza driver, (laughs) pizza delivery driver, and then as a social worker on the south side of Chicago. And it all weaves back to the Philippines where he decides to take over his mother-in-law's old uh, 24-acre rice farm and to really uh, become a force in the area to teach other farmers how to how to give back to the earth and how to create sustainable farm practices and how to nourish, nourish people and nourish the culture. Uh, it's a really beautiful tale. Uh, Manny is a very compelling storyteller um, and all I had to do was push start and just sit back and let him uh, weave, weave this beautiful story. Manny has a book that's forthcoming from the University of the Philippines Press titled of Tyrants and Martyrs, a political memoir. And in this talk, you will hear about tyrants in the Philippines. Uh, Many of you know about the uh, dictatorships that have reigned in that country for uh, most of recent memory, and of martyrs, people that he's known who have given their freedom, in some cases given their lives, to fight for what uh, they believe is right and what's um, healthy and good for their people. I learned a lot. I didn't know much about the Philippines at all. So uh, for me, it was a very humbling experience just to absorb a lot of the information that Manny presented. So without further ado, I'd like to present Manny Lahoz, rice farmer in the Philippines. Angel. So you want to just start? Yes. Okay, go ahead. My education is, um, I was, I entered the seminary, Catholic seminary in the Philippines. I was ordained a priest Ah. in 1967. Mm -hmm. And in the process, in the seminary, I 
met my good friend whose name is Father Zacharias Agatep. He was the one. He got he is two years ahead of me and I got ordained two years ahead of me and when I got ordained and became a priest I was assigned to a small parish in northern Luzon in Abra. Mm-hmm. At that time How old were you then? I was twenty five when I got ordained. Young man. Young man. It did not take long for Father Agatev to visit me. To visit you? In my parish. Mm-hmm. And he gave me the news that he was invited by uh, Jeremias Montemayor who founded the Federation of Pre-Farmers. So he was invited by the, the founder and I joined him. Hmm. So we took a series of seminars on how to conduct organizing work mm-hmm. among the farmers. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started early on. Mm-hmm. Had you not farmed before then? No. And I had totally no background in farming. No background. So what we did was to organize the farmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a big uh, kind of issue at that time in the Philippines about the farmers not getting their uh, share of the harvest. Their fair share. Their share. And this is what we started to propagate to the farmers. And they were so organ and they were organizing the process. And it was a very simple story that we started to share with them. Mm-hmm. Right? Was it would you call that a like a union in the yes. States? Yes. So you, you organized a union of farmers yes. to make sure they had equal rights yes. and yes. pay. Exactly. Yes. It's called the Federation of Free Farmers. So free Farmers. Federation free of Free unions. Farmers. Yes. And is it still in existence in the Philippines? Uh, unfortunately, the story is a little bit sad in the ending because when martial law was declared, martial law, 1972, mm-hmm. the founder. Uh, Jerry Montemayor was intimidated by President Marcos mm-hmm. because Marcos saw him as, you know, with a farmers group, a big nationwide organization. Mm. Like a threat. Like a threat. <laughs> and so one day he invited him to the palace and told him point blank. There are radicals who have infiltrated your organizations, and I want you to clean it up. Wow. And then the threat. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, I will, or what you call that, I will break up your organization. Break it up. And, yes. Destroy it. Destroy it. And he had the power to do that. And he had the power because he was already a dictator at the time. So they believe threats like that. The threats like that really scared Montemayor and he decided to implement his own purge within the organization where mm-hmm. myself and Father Ragatep were out ousted. He and purged. a lot of other uh, young guys. And how was that for you? It must have been heartbreaking, something you put mm, your hard work well, into. It is, in the beginning you felt the betrayal, but eventually we started to rebuild our own local chapters. Okay. So instead of centralizing one 
a bigger union, you yes. kind of yes, yes, grassroots with a little bit different kind of orientation. Mm -hmm. Because then we found out that the organization under Montemayor was a very reformist organization, mm -hmm. and we wanted more than just reform. Mm. What wanted, did you want? We wanted to educate the farmers, mm -hmm. not only to fight for their rights, but also to join a bigger struggle in the Philippines that was already ongoing at that time, struggle for national liberation. As a, I'm curious, as a Catholic priest, were you, you were ordained a priest yes. by that time? Did you feel some sense of, uh, I guess, protection because you were with the church? Unfortunately, that protection did not happen. There are some, uh, some reasons behind it. One, when martial law was declared, we were in, in the process of a three-week uh, training seminar for the farmers. But then, unbeknownst to us, me and Father Regative, the military have been conducting surveillance. Really? Yes. On you On and you what you're and, doing? And Father Regative. And one late afternoon, we were still in seminar, the provincial commander of the military visited the bishop, my bishop, and told him, informed him, that one of his priests is under surveillance and his name is already blacklisted. Wow. And... No protection. No protection. Because the bishop was a German missionary. A German missionary? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that very night he called me, Manuel, I cannot protect you. Mm -hmm. What do you mean, Bishop? And he keep repeating that I cannot protect you like a mantra. Mm. Until finally, I made the conclusion that the military has threatened him too. Mm -hmm. He couldn't say anymore because... He couldn't say anymore. Wow. So I said, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. And he told me, you have to leave. You have to leave. You have to leave the Philippines? Leave the diocese. Ah. For your own protection. Mm -hmm. That's what he told me. So, with a heavy heart, I had to leave. And by that time, you were in your 20s still? I was already about... Uh, 25, martial law happened in 72, I was 30. You were 30? Yes. And so at that point, did you effectively stop being a priest? I would describe it this way. When I was in the parish, I was a minister of the sacraments. I baptized children, married young couples who are in love, the good stuff. The good stuff. Anoint the sick and stuff like that. But then I realized that the priesthood is not just like that. There is also another side of the priesthood. There's the service. Service. You got it? Yeah. The ministry of service. So then you're 30. 
and you're kind of taken out of your chosen profession in a yeah. way. And is that about the time you decided to immigrate? No. When did you come to the States? After martial law. And mm-hmm. that was a long 14 years. Wow. After martial law was what? Was undeclared. After Marcos was deposed by the people in what is now described as the people power uprising. It was a revolution. Yes. I don't, my Philippines history is not good. So you'll have to forgive me if I ask really yes. obvious questions, but. Yeah, that's the point. I'm learning, yes. you know. Um, so the people revolted, what, 14 years later? Yes. But again, 14 years has also a very long history. Yeah. And this is where Father Agatev and myself, we got deeply involved. You got deeply involved in the revolution? In the revolution. <clears throat> we define it as the struggle for national liberation and democracy. And when, when you say got involved, what, what, what does that mean? How did you get involved? Organizing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Different forms. Yeah. Then, you know, so my story is uh, intimately linked with the story of Father Rakatek. Because we were both farmer organizers, mm-hmm. joined the revolution. I was arrested before him, mm-hmm. picked up by the military. You were arrested? Yes. During that revolutionary time? Yes. The uprising? 1974. How long were you in prison? Two years. A lot of stories there, but we cannot go into the details because this would become very long. You know. <laughs> well, I want to learn. I want to yes. talk about everything. That, that's why I love doing this sh- this podcast. I love doing it because obviously farming and growing food has to do with everything. It has to do with the history, the culture, the landscape. One of my favorite quotes from Fukuoka, who I know yeah. that you love too, one of my favorite quotes is that um, agriculture isn't just the cultivation of the, the, land. the land, it's the cultivation of people. Correct. You know, it was the first culture, and so everything kind of spirals around that. So it's, and, all, it's all relevant. And you have to realize too, that uh, there was such thing as the National Democratic Movement in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. It's a nationwide mass organization. Mm-hmm. And it's really patterned after the African National Congress of Mandela. Mm-hmm. Apartheid, breaking apartheid. That was their issue. Our issue was the dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Of course, the issue of Mandela was also the dictatorship of the white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you had a pattern you could follow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which had a lot of risk associated with it. Of course. Like going to prison, people being, I'm guessing, yes, disappear and abducted. Yes. And All those things happened. Mm-hmm. So then at some point, um, the uprising happens. Yes. And it's a victory, although I'm sure it was a hard we, fought. We had... <laughs> series of little victories 
Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning, of course, he had total control. He controlled the military and he did not allow dissent initially. But then, you know, people, they find ways. Mm-hmm. Little ch- to chip away. To chip away. Then you have to realize that at the present time, the president is another dictator. Mm-hmm. His name is Rodrigo Duterte. But he idolizes Marcos, who was the dictator at that time when we were actively involved. But Duterte is, did I say his name right? Duterte is... Duterte. Duterte. He was voted in though, right? Yes, yes. No, Marcos was also voted in, ah. in the process. He had, uh, he had an eight-year term, mm-hmm. but then toward the end of his term, he found mm-hmm. a way to continue. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he ruled in the Philippines 8 plus 14. Ah, That's a long one. Long time. Duterte's, we, he, we hear a lot about the drug policies. Yes. That's what's making yes. the news. Yes. Which we don't have to go into that because no. I feel like no. the news is covered, covers yes. that pretty well. But yes. what about the farming? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so the farming um, happened. But before that, I would like to... Uh, in, include the stories behind sure. where the farming happened, but sure. also it's part of my uh, experience. After I was released from detention, I found work under one of these Episcopal commissions, this, uh, you know, special uh, arrangements sponsored Ep- by the hierarchy. Episcopal? Yes, Episcopal. I, I, I was raised in the Episcopal church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we, I joined this group and we were assigned to work with the indigenous peoples mm-hmm. in the mountain regions of northern Luzon, that's where I come from, mm-hmm. where the struggle was also very, very fierce because the government under uh, President Marcos was planning to build a series of four mega dumps along the beautiful mm. Chico River. Trash dumps. To so, po- poison the water, essentially. Yes. Not only that, flood mm-hmm. the villages. Intentionally? But yes, because they have to build the dams. You have to enclose mm. the, the, the ridges between two mountains, the waters will rise, and the villages beside the mountains. What are the indigenous people called? Igorots. Igorots. Yes. That's the generic term for them. Igorot means people of the mountain. Mm-hmm. So then you got out of detention and you wanted to assist them with yes. what you knew about yes, organizing. And they, are, they were one of the more uh, deprived and uh, dispossessed people mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. But then they, their, their situation was so uh, intense too because now they, they are about to be dispossessed of their land mm-hmm. and they had to fight. Of course they did. What they else did. could they do? And their victory was a landmark. Was it a violent fight? It was. Marcos unleashed the military. The people armed themselves. Amazing. And I'm sure they're using primitive... No! Oh, they had. They were armed? They were armed. 
How are they armed? Well, these are warrior, warrior tribes. Okay. Even if there is no war, they have a tradition of tribal wars. Mm -hmm. When one member of this tribe is killed by a neighboring tribe or from other tribe, it becomes a tribal war because this tribe that was that was hurt will revenge on the other tribe. But they have this beautiful institution that is native to them. They call it Budong. Budong. Which means peace pack. Peace pack. Yeah. This Budong would pull together the warring tribes and they would settle the issues peacefully peacefully in a dialogue mm -hmm. you drew a circle with your hands yes. so some kind of sitting in a circle yes and the party who would be found guilty of initiating this tribal war would be fined would pay a steep fine so that this experience will never happen again so even though they knew how to defend themselves they generally chose to be peaceful oh yes mm -hmm. but they were workers. Amazing. So did you learn anything about agriculture from that tribal I, group? This is where I learned that um, and I first was introduced to the native, they call it the native varieties of rice, mm -hmm. which now we are going into this rice thing now. Mm -hmm. Is that where you first, I guess, fell in love yes, with rice? <laughs> yes. Um, and that's part of that story that Angela shared with you about mm -hmm. this rice, mm -hmm. a Filipino love story. But right, we don't have to film. talk about that mm -hmm. now because mm -hmm. you have an idea of what it's all about. I've been talking to the producer as well. Yes. And uh, when you did? Yes. After you watched mm -hmm. that, the, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the trailer. The trailer? Yeah, we've been speaking. Wow. And uh, she's planning on coming to Chicago in the fall. Oh, wow. And uh, she wants to do a screening somewhere, and then good. I'll get to talk Green. to her more. So, yeah. She's like family to us. Stays in the farm. She did all the footages in the farm. Mm -hmm. Now she's coming up with this documentary. It's really nice. Yes. It looks nice. So, um, so you learned about rice from the, the, the people. Uh, the people. And that one of my best selling variety right now is the red rice. It is, it was originally uh, upland, upland, lowland, upland variety. Upland. Mm -hmm. Yes. It would only grow and, 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 and prosper in the, mountains in the mountains because of the higher elevation and cooler climate. Mm -hmm. But with uh, <clears throat> with another priest who is also my friend his name is Father Pio like uh, Pius mm -hmm. Eugenio that's uh, a Filipino name mm -hmm. he gave me the initial seeds mm. from Mindanao that's the southern part of the Philippines where there is this uh, Moro War What's where that? Duterte is bombing a whole city of oh, wow. Muslim people. Of Muslim people? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it gives us a kind of uh, bitter taste in the mouth because it's something happening in the Philippines. It's like something that's happening right now in Syria. In Syria? Yes. Right. 
Because yeah. the, 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 Duterte claims that the Muslims there are propagating and supporting the ISIS. Right. Islamic State of Iraq. So you, you hear echoes of that happening. Yes. So the mountain rise the is rent. now being propagated by me in my lowland farm mm-hmm. in Zambales, Philippines. So, but the you said the climate is different. Yeah, but then we made the rice to perform or to is it adapt. Like, is it like a hybrid? Or it's how do not. You... It's not a hybrid, but it's the the way uh, I had help from some uh, rice technologies also mm-hmm. who helped me make the rice adapt from the highland mm-hmm. environment, the lowland, hmm. and we did it. Now uh, we produce that uh, that variety of rice within uh, the maturity period is about uh, 110 days. Is that a short amount of time? It is because the mountain rice usually would last for about, or would mature for about uh, four months. Ah, yes. Okay. But then again, the longer the the rice stays on the ground, mm-hmm. the softer and the good eating quality is enhanced. Ah, it matures. In yes. A way. Yes. Ah, so you want it to be in there for a long time, yes. but also you want production. Yes. So, <laughs> it's so a, that's the, a the technology of adapt, making them adapt to the lowland condition. Ah. And so. this is where I am now engage in uh, marketing this rice with coupled with two varieties of white rice okay and the kind of rice that we sell is called the unpolished variety you know unpolished yes now let me describe it briefly yes the grain of rice has uh, outer coating Mm -hmm. it's called the hull H-U-L-L. Mm-hmm. So the machine, the regular milling machine, will only we will only allow the rice to the hull, the machine to the hull the rice to remove the outer coating. Not the to whole take, grain would remain intact. Not to take too much material off. No, of just it. just the coating. That's why they call it whole grain. Whole grain. Rice. You got it. I never knew that. Yes. That is the reason behind the whole grain promotion of marketers. Because otherwise they would polish it or clean it or something? The machine would do this polishing with stones. I mean... Rub it together. Rub it together until you get the the pure white rice. But there is no more nourishment. No more nutrients. There is no more vitamins to it. It just and looks clean. Yes, it looks clean <laughs> and shiny and white. But all the nutrients are gone. Amazing. But people, not only in the Philippines, but also everywhere, even now, you know, whole wheat, uh, right. what you call that, uh, Trader's Joe. Trader Joe's Trader and Joe, Whole Foods. Old people want sell. Whole Foods. Yes. Right. And there's more of a consciousness about yes. it now. Yes, yes. So now and you can market it. This is where I am in right now. That's great. So let's jump then to how you got into the farming that you're doing now. Because first there was the big 
yes. period of coming to America and yes. starting your life here. Yes. And you told me that you were a social worker here. Yes. And now, knowing that you were a priest before, yes. I see that thread, right? Yes. So when did you come to the States? Martial law was over with the People Power Revolution in 1986 mm -hmm. or 85. Mm -hmm. Oh, early 86 because we came to the U.S. November of 85. And so was it? It was just a natural tendency to want to help people who needed help, and social work is is all about going into communities mm, that are. It happened this way. You're right. Came to the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons why we came to the U.S. in the process, this is where uh, I would introduce my wife. Mm -hmm. That's where you met her. No, we were working together. Oh, okay in the indigenous people's program. Ah, uh, you're working together, okay. But we decided to come together, to come here at the end, or the, towards the end of martial law. Mm -hmm. Did you have your children here? No. Uh, we, one was born in the Philippines, the other one, Angela. Angela. Was born here mm -hmm. in 1987. Mm -hmm. So, we came to the U.S. because uh, Puri's parents were already here. Mm -hmm. And my own, I have four sisters already, citizens also in, uh, in the U.S. before me. Okay. So we had family. You had a nice support group. We came. And like uh, anybody else, uh, I was, you know, feeling uneasy because I didn't know what to do here. Sure. So I started looking around. Uh, one day I borrowed um, Greg, that is the brother of uh, Puri. Mm -hmm. Puri is your wife? Yes. I drove around in the northwest side of Chicago near the airport, mm -hmm. looking for, you know. See science. what's going on. Yeah, no, science for, you know. <laughs> working? Working. For hire? Uh, well, wanted driver. I found that sign, wanted driver. So I said, I, I know how to drive. <laughs> so it was a pizza house. Mm -hmm. And up to now, I'm still the friend of that guy, Tony. Tony's Pizza? Tony's Pizza. So you're delivering pizza first? Yes. So that was my first job. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Yeah. And <laughs> I loved that job because it provided me cash. Yeah. The deal was, according to him, uh, you work for me, you get $2 uh, tip, uh, no, no, $2 from me for every pizza you sell. And you get you get to keep all the tip. And he did uh, making like uh, $80 a mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Not bad at that time. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And are you, like a lot of Filipino families, send money back home? Yes. Or were you, were you yes. sending money home? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh... Eventually, I found a day job. Mm -hmm. So I was hired by the Department of Children and Family Services in Chicago. DCF. DCFS. Hard. Rough. Rough. Because <laughs> I was assigned to the South Side. Mm -hmm. We had our office here along the Vision. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's still there, but it is the Vision and Central Park. Okay. Out west. Out west. Yeah. 
uh, Humble Park, I don't know. So At that time, it was a rough neighborhood. So they dispatch you to the south side where yeah. you're working with families and yes. children who need yes. help and yes. placement resources. Yes. I mean, they told us about, you know, uh, there could be danger to your personal security and stuff like that. Uh, why don't you issue us uh, side arms? Side arm. It's not allowed. What you... will we do if we get, you know, threatened? Call the police. But there is a way that we could do that because all reports coming through to DCPS passes through a hotline. Mm -hmm. There's a hotline number. People call that hotline and the calls are directed to the different uh, sections of the city. Mm -hmm. So I had my share. And the report will also include for the protection of the workers. Okay. Uh, take caution because, uh, you know, the family may be involved in drugs, right. stuff like that. Yeah. And then they give you some uh, signs that there could, it could be a danger to your, you know, personal security, so you better call the police. So we do that. I mean, that's a, a warning to us to do something and get police protection or police support. Were the p police helpful? Well, we have to make them helpful because they are, you know, as usual police force, they want to control everything. Yeah. You have to help them learn how to... Yes. ...do it peacefully. Okay, let's go, man. Yeah. What's the problem? Yeah, they're ready to go. I will raise my hand. Mm -hmm. I want to lead this mm -hmm. project. Right. If you don't comply, I will have to write a report. Mm -hmm. And they usually comply. But you have to do that. Just provide protection. And coming from the Philippines, you'd already been in so many tense situations, I'm sure, that you knew how to talk to people in uh, times of conflict. Yes. I had a good experience in the, in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. You could spend the whole night doing that, but let's proceed with it. <laughs> so, you're healthy. so how long did you do social work? Ten know? years. And uh, in the end, I felt I felt good because yeah. I was able to have a lot of families with their children. You were, in a way, I guess, in a way, you're doing God's work too. Yeah. Were you still were you involved in the church here in Chicago? Mm, no more because mm -hmm. uh, when we arrived in the U.S., we decided to get married mm -hmm. here. So we had one child, that's Angela. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. and I did not regret anything because, you know, I thought I was a good priest. I was serving the people in the sacraments, in the ministry, mm -hmm. and in the service. Mm -hmm. But I had to sacrifice my priesthood, my sacramental priesthood because of a broader need right. that I also had to do. Right. So then, I think I saw in the film trailer that's called Rice, a Filipino love story. Yeah. Um, the farm that you ended up taking over back in the Philippines used to belong to your, was it grandmother or your mom? The mother of Puri, my wife. Your wife's mom. Yes. So she already had this farm. Yes. How many acres was it? Uh, eight hectares. 
Eight hectares, that's right. And that is, a hectare is about three, three acres. About 24 acres. Yes. And that's sizable. Mm-hmm. And to the point that I could not farm it all. Big enough that you need help. Yes, I farm uh, three hectares. I'm farming right now three hectares. The other five, I had to distribute it to my farmer friends in the neighborhood. Okay, broke yes. it up a little bit. Yes. So let's go back then. So you're, you worked 10 years doing social work. And then at some point you're like, I want to go back to the Philippines and start over again. And was your wife incredulous? Was she like, you don't, uh, what are you actually, talking about? Uh, I started giving, dropping hints about, yeah, there's a farm that's probably waiting for us. What was it about farming that was calling to you? Well, I had this interaction with farmers, as you should be reminded now. Mm -hmm. And doing that, I had a lot of conversations with them on what, how to do, what to do in farming. And it was, it was a very natural, you know, there was a natural attraction for me mm -hmm. to get involved there. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that to my wife. But then when I talk, talk to my family, I had four sisters here. We are going back and I'm going to farm. They were sneering at me. Mm -hmm. You thought, are a priest. Yeah. What do you know about farming? Mm -hmm. Don't you remember or don't you realize that it's a bottomless pit? Oh. Just drop all your money there and oh. you're gone. Mm -hmm. So that's the way they were describing what farming is all about. But I just kept quiet, <laughs> didn't say anything, did not discuss it with them, did not debate it with them. Mm -hmm. Because deep in my heart, I wanted to try. So you're just quietly making plans. Yes. At some point your wife, must, Pura, must have uh, yeah, she supported was you. Supportive. And not only that, Mama, her, her mom. Her mom. When we when I announced the plan, she gave a very big smile. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Otherwise, that piece of land would have been abandoned. Abandoned, yes. sold to somebody, yes. turned, turned into Think God knows something what. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Easily. Beautiful. So she was happy and overjoyed. Yes. And uh, so... When did, the, when did the farm change hands? How long have you had it? Uh, as soon as we got back, we mm -hmm. right away, there was a caretaker who was left behind and we told him we are back and, you know, you can continue to stay with us, but we would like to assume the management of the, of the farm. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was, she was good that, you know, he did not have any personal attachments to it. We gave him a good, uh, like a separation pay that he also appreciated. So how did you crash course into it? What did, were you this learning This is where from? the other priest friend comes in, okay. Father Pio, mm -hmm. who, is already, who was already working almost like 30 years into this organic rice production. Mm -hmm. He had a farm a four hectare farm in Mindanao, in the no in southern province, in, in the island of Mindanao. And he brought me there to see what was going on. It was his way of telling me, 
we should do some partnership here. So you kind of apprentice in a way? Is that kind of what it was? Or were you working for him? No, I, he showed me what is what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I was like here, I was asking a lot of questions to the farmers there. Mm -hmm. And Father P was also very helpful because organic farming is, you know, mm -hmm. the call of the times, he told mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Away with uh, chemical farming. Mm -hmm save the environment mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah it's starting to catch on yes that's and cool. that's uh, how I got started he gave me a lot of good uh, advice and uh, what to do and Amen. at the same time he was also like a father agatev but whose mission is to preach the gospel of organic farming <laughs> right through training yeah and then I got aboard into that again. That's great. While developing the farm, I made the farm into a kind of uh, organic farming training center mm -hmm. initially. Mm -hmm. So that's how we got started. So kind of a way to train other farmers yes. to start their own yes. business, their own yes. enterprise. Beautiful. And I have a, a, a short anecdote to share with you. Sure. There is also another uh, rice technology about mm -hmm. related uh, with organic farming but this one was propagate discovered and propagated by a French missionary in Africa I could not spell or I cannot even pronounce his name because it's French Lolaine Lolong hmm. missionary look, look that one up yeah the name of his plant this is a planting method Okay, it's not nothing to do about the organ, uh, the, the, kind the, of the organic uh, whatever that you are mm -hmm. producing. Mm -hmm. It is a planting method that he described as the system of rice intensification, intensification, like making the the rice yield more, more productive, more productive. Yeah, high and intensity. And how did it happen? Or what did, what did he do to make that happen? It's S-I-S-R-I. S-R-I. Stem of rice intensification. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, were people not doing that in the Philippines? Not much? only for people, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. Because the traditional way of planting rice in the Philippines is you grow the rice, you, you spread your rice on a plot, and when they are this tall or even this tall, mm -hmm. you pluck them or you pull them by hand. Pull the seedlings out. Yes, and transplant them mm -hmm. into the bigger land. The flooded. That is flooded land. Mm -hmm. Irrigated, flooded, uh, ready for planting. So you, you pull the rice uh, shoots. And you get a small piece, mm -hmm. but the, when, when you grow, probably you have about five, six uh, seedlings in your hand mm -hmm. and stick into the mud. It's a lot of work. Yeah, of course it's work. I mean, rice is of the grass family. Yeah. When they get in touch with the uh, wet, uh, watered uh, soil, they will thrive. Yeah, yeah. But according to this uh, missionary, you are not allowing the, the rice uh, plant to 
tiller, which means to come out with shoots because mm. they grow like rice, like like grass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is how grass spreads. Right. It has to tassel, or uh, it has to from go, one, go to seed from and then, one. Uh, yeah, one seedling. Mm-hmm. It bears many other seedlings mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. shoots, mm-hmm. like bamboo. So you have to let it mature and go. No, let it grow. Mm-hmm. But do not allow it to grow in close contact with five or six more stems. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, so this was the SRI method. Yes. Okay. Now, uh, the farmers uh, who were already taught the, the method would uh, explain it to us, who were still you. We would make a comparison. Mm-hmm. This is your plate. There is only one guy who is eating from this plate. Mm-hmm. But if you put six other guys there, you know, the rest will not get enough uh, nourishment. It will be shared with the five other, uh, you know, mm-hmm. guys there. Mm-hmm. So you have to put only one seedling. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that it will drive the distances. Uh, so it's less, it's, it's planting less seedlings per, per foot. Yes. Not more. Yes. Ah. And at a distance. Mm-hmm, at a distance. To allow them to develop the tillers. Ah. So the distance would ideally would be about a foot. And in straight line. I can see why you like Fukuoka because yes. a lot of his methods are natural. And, yes. and all he's doing is observing what the yes. thing does naturally yes. in yes. nature and then helping it just to yeah, do its own Yeah, that is what the thing. French missionary did, you know. Mm-hmm. Because allowing the rice to grow. Mm-hmm. And to, to allow the tillers to come out and were there from any, one the, from, the, from the parent stem. Were there any conventional farmers around there who were who were scoffing? Oh and my God! That's you don't what know I, what you're doing. That is what I would like to share with you. <laughs> when I finally decided to try the SRI method mm-hmm. in the farm, the farmers around they're were judging, just watching me. Yeah. Then we started to put string mm-hmm. to make it straight, mm-hmm. and then they were surprised. My workers would plant one seedling at a time at a distance, mm-hmm. and they would make comments. What is this guy doing? <laughs> right. He must be crazy. You know, it's not the the one hectare uh, land is not planted with rice. You cannot even see them at a distance because they look bare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like waiting for you to fail. Yes. And of course, I did not make any comment. Just allowed them to watch and see what's going to happen. After six weeks, the tillers started to come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they were wondering. It started, the whole field is starting to turn green. Yeah. And then they start to <laughs> believe you. So they said, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Because you plant the six original stems. Yeah. Like that, sticky in the mud. They don't grow, they don't tiller well. Yeah. They, they're, they're fighting for resources. Yes. Yeah. That is the comparison. Yeah. So they just, you will just get five uh, uh, stems of rice, plants, so less, mm-hmm. uh, you know that the panicles, the mm-hmm. the 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 rice uh, branches like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get one per one plant. You just get one. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So with the SRI, you're getting a bigger bunch bunch of. Uh, we would spots. then count. Mm-hmm. We would. I would make it into a contest. Mm-hmm. Because you can count thirty tailors. Uh, you know, uh, tailors that really do bear the rice uh, grains. Mm-hmm. And then you, when in harvest time is near, already near, it, they will bend because they are heavy with grain inside. Yeah. And then the, we would also uh, find, I wanted to find how much more grain I would harvest from one hectare. Mm-hmm. Because the traditional way is, uh, the yield is about 50, mm-hmm. 50, 50 kilo bags. Mm-hmm. Or even less. With the SRI method, I was able to raise it to 95 wow. first time. And you're not using so much labor to plant it in the first place. The labor is still intensive because you know, intensive. you use uh, people to do the planting, not machines. Yeah. And that's the only way you can do it, right? Yes. There's not a machine that can yes. plant it. So, in the end, a lot of these people who were watching me, they also were convinced. Yeah. That's cool. And they said, we watch you do it. We would like to try it. Mm. So, yeah. I did not give any lecture. Just demonstrate. Correct. That's beautiful. And along the way, did you make any mistakes? Were there any big uh, moments where you learned the hard way? By the hard way comes when um, floods. Floods. Uh, rats. Mm. The mice rats, the field rice, the, mm. the field mice, mm. they will consume your... your, your, your then uh, flood is the more damaging catastrophe mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when the rice are about to be harvested and you get the strong winds mm-hmm. and rain, your 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 rice plants are heavy with grain. Mm-hmm. They tend to bend down and get soaked in the water. Mm-hmm. And then they're ruined. They're ruined. Those are the things that we have to reckon with. What about with? Now, with climate change and rising water, do you, do you see is, effects from that? Yes, that is becoming a problem that we have to find ways to survive. Like um, adjusting your planting time. Yeah, before the heavy rains come, you're already harvested. Things Good. like that. And the Philippines is comprised of many, many islands, right? Yes, 7,000. 7,000. Yeah. Big and small. I've heard some of those islands don't exist when there's high tide. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing underwater. I mean, yeah. So it must be so susceptible to flood yeah. all the time. Yeah. Right wow. now there is a typhoon uh, roaring in in the, in in Luzon where I come from. Mm-hmm. Right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the roads are uh, higher than your knee. Wow. Yeah. So and your wife Pura Pura Puri. Puri. Yes. She's starting a Montessori school. Yes. In outside of Manila. Yes, in the province where we come from. And so, this is really cool. She wants to connect the Montessori school with your farm. With the farm. To have an educational farm. The way you're doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. So we get the idea and inspiration from what you're doing now. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, uh, and you're calling it, you're naming it after your daughters? It is already named. It is already named after them. Mia Angela Montessori. 
Farm yeah. school. Farm school. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, it all comes for full circle. Right? Yes. <laughs> so you can help. Yes. The young people to. And continue also to showcase the mm -hmm. whole program to the community. It's beautiful. So aside from rice, what else? Are the children going to learn? Uh, vegetable, mm -hmm. gardens. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a huge uh, lot mm -hmm. where the school will be situated. Mm -hmm. Before we de she decided to convert or to not convert but to expand uh, mm -hmm. on the sorry program into uh, incorporate it in the farm. Mm -hmm. We already started to what you call that? Uh, like uh, develop the land? Yes, and also to like landscape, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. gardens, mm -hmm. trellises, fruit trees. Mm. And like I already briefly shared with you, I learned this concept also from our master Fukuoka mm -hmm. and uh, other uh, people who are into this organic uh, agriculture and way of life. Mm -hmm. The land, I this is not my idea, but I have to convert the farm into what you have described to me as uh, like uh, you have to have a kind of uh, projects in the farm that would support each other. I have mm -hmm. a mini mm -hmm. forest. Mm -hmm. I have an orchard of mm -hmm. uh, mini lemons. Mm -hmm. I have a fish farm. Mm -hmm. Fish farm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, creating systems that yes, yes, work yes, 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 yes. Beautiful. Yes, yes. And that's the permaculture thing. Uh, uh, that's yes, now um, I cannot re recall. There's a term for that. It's integrated farming or mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Integrated. Yeah. Integrated yes. systems. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yes. Which takes a lot of work to set those up. Yes. But then once you do. But I started developing this farm when we arrived in 2001 mm -hmm. after 10 or oh, 15 years we stayed in Chicago mm -hmm. working my my wife started the Montessori school here mm -hmm. she went back to school at the um, Northwestern mm -hmm. to take her uh, certificate mm -hmm. state license mm -hmm. Montessori she was a social worker before that. Ah, but she got her Montessori uh, teaching yes, certification. Yes. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yes, and so you were so you were living here, and you were developing the the new farm back. No. No. Fifteen years we were here. Yeah, just stuck here. <laughs> yes. So she was doing Montessori here. I was this year pass. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, you know we both yeah. deal with children on only on yeah. different situations. Yeah, she yeah. teaches and raises them well. I protect the children. Yeah, from abuse and neglect. Yeah. So an amazing experience, and now you get to go back home to your homeland and help the children there to learn yes. how to grow food organically. Yes. yes, and to learn about these systems that you're developing. And I'm right. also excited about that because yeah. I have I went to the websites I already mm -hmm. read about you. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about developing systems. You were mentioning pests like rats and stuff. Yes, like we yes. had we had a huge rat problem at our farm. 
and then we got the cats. Mm. And now, no more rats. Yeah. But now we have a cat problem, so sometimes the cats... And, yeah. and not only the, the rats, we have bird problems too. Yeah. When the rice gets mature, mm -hmm. the birds are hungry, mm -hmm. and they have a feast. There's mm -hmm. nothing much you can do about that. Nothing you can do. Yes. Yeah. Harvest them. So Some people say like you just have to grow more. You yes. have to grow enough that yes, everybody yes. gets to eat, yes. right? So in the main, it has been a very fulfilling life for both of us. It's beautiful. And this is what we want Angela mm -hmm. to probably I don't know, she's not answering right now. She's too engrossed in what she's doing. Well, sure. yes. Do you think that someday they'll wanna relocate back to the Philippines? Do you hope that they do? Uh, I'm working on Angela. <laughs> <laughs> One kid at a time, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, do something because, you know, what we have started, mm -hmm. you know, we don't want it to stop. Sure. Somebody has to look after it. Somebody's got to keep... We poured too much blood, sweat, and tears. It's a lot of work. Yes. And it's the future you're building, too. Yes. It's beautiful. Um, me Manny, do you like to go by Manuel or Manny? Manny. Manny. And how do you pronounce your last name? Lajos. L-A-H-O-Z. It's a Spanish uh, word that means the sickle. Really? The sickle? <laughs> the rice. It's your destiny, Manny. It's amazing. That's what my wife tells me. It's beautiful. You were born to be a farmer. It's beautiful, Manny. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Too. I've learned so much and I just, this is why I do this so I can have the chance to sit down yes. and talk to people. Yes. So, thank you. Thank you also for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Same thing happened with me and Karin. Oh yeah, yeah, with yes. Karin, the yeah, filmmaker. You saw that I was the one explaining things there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she starts the trailer with you yeah. talking. I, f I feel like you really set the tone. And then he would, she did interviews to the farmers, mm -hmm. my friends. There was one gentleman who was speaking about farming in a very mystical way. Yeah. Talking about the universe and how yes. Yes. he works with the land because the whole universe yes. is in the, yes. in the soil and the seeds. Yeah, they are very... Very spiritual. People. Yes, very yeah. spiritual. Yeah. That is also their heritage. Mm -hmm. those, those are the kind of people that I work with. Yeah. We have fun, you know. Yeah, it's great. I invite them for afternoon beer. Yeah. And they like it too. <laughs> the sacrament, the other yes. sacrament. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to visit the Philippines and visit your farm. Please do that. I will. To hear more episodes featuring interviews with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement, and to read my essays on everything from zucchini to zen, visit dharmaonthefarm.com. Until next time, farm on.